What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am Andrew for America, and um, I wanted to start today's show uh, with a correction once again. <laughs> uh, I got to get better at uh, pre-production, that's for sure. This one was kind of big. Um, bonehead move <clears throat> on my part. Operation Northwoods. Uh, in a previous podcast, I said was the CIA operation where they brought all of the Nazi science, or, yeah, scientists and propagandists over from Germany after the war. I was incorrect again. That was actually Operation Paperclip. Um, Operation Northwoods has to do with Cuba. Uh, it's a completely different operation, but again, both operations are folded into the same story I've been talking about on this podcast. So, once again, apologies for the mistake. So, Derek Chauvin convicted guilty on all counts uh the burning of minneapolis has been thwarted <laughs> we had national guard up and down the streets it was it was a, it was the police state all the stuff is just litmus tests <clears throat> you know i remember back to obama's administration when you know, he, he ordered all those MRAP tanks. I remember driving across uh, Minnesota and South Dakota, seeing them on, on trains by the hundreds, traveling to different cities throughout the country. All preparation for what was yet to come. So, yeah, I don't know. Feel however you want to feel about the outcome of the George Floyd trial. Um, I, I, I believe that justice was served when you look at everything and put it all in perspective in the big picture. <clears throat> I think uh, we're going to have a, a very difficult time uh, finding and keeping good, decent, honest police officers moving forward. I think it's, it's like I said in, in uh, the Divide and Conquer uh, podcast, we better pay them more. We better make it worth their while to put their lives on the line for us every day. And, of course, there are a few bad apples. Of course, uh, you know, the thin blue line of silence exists. <clears throat> you know, of course, it's, it's, it's you know, the union the, union, the police union protects their own. And I don't see really a lot of problem with that. I think that they're, they should do that to a certain extent. But when bad apples um, that are taking the good name of the protect and to serve <clears throat> police departments, you know, credibility, flushing it down the toilet, losing the public's trust... Like Clyde Kerr said in a previous podcast, the Divide and Conquer episode. 
I mean, it's a slippery slope, people. What are you going to do when there are no police to call in the event of an emergency or <clears throat> a conflict of sort of some sort or whatever? You know, you really... <laughs> you better have some firearms, people. <laughs> Pretty soon you're going to be the one policing your neighborhood. You ready? You ready for that? I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy times we're living in. Um, so, enough about that. I'm going to move on. Um, this episode today, <clears throat> episode 26... Uh, is entitled Above the Law, and uh, I'm going to start the show today with a clip uh, from Ted Cruz. Feel however you want to feel about Ted Cruz. Uh, I 100% agree with him uh, on the what he's about to talk about. I'm about to play you a clip <clears throat> of uh, Ted Cruz recently uh, talking to the Federal Trade Commission about the unbelievably ridiculously large power that the big tech companies have and... Uh, you know, it, at some point, the government, uh, I think, is going to have to intervene with, you know, antitrust laws or, you know, uh, I rail against, uh, you know, we need small government and the government shouldn't do everything for us. But uh, in cases where uh, private business is, you know, becoming that involved with, you know, you know the government likes to control the events of the world. You know they don't like uh, they don't like any private upstart company coming in and taking total control over all the information uh, that we see and hear on social media. <laughs> they don't like it. They're trying to get their foot in there somewhere. I'm sure the CIA probably already has had has it figured out in some way. I would imagine, but uh, you know it's coming, people. Like this is. You know, listen, listen, listen to Ted Cruz. He's gonna, he's gonna make his claim to the Federal Trade Commission. And then, uh, uh, I think three different people, maybe four people, are gonna uh, respond afterwards, and they're going to uh, agree with him. Shockingly, so uh, a lot of people in government are talking about this. They're talking about it in committee, uh, and here's just a little glimpse. So take a listen to this clip, uh, and we'll talk about it afterwards. Here we go. Thank you, Madam Chair. Welcome, Commissioners. Uh, and it is always good to see uh, the FTC here. I spent two wonderful years at the FTC. There are a lot of terrific men and women who work there at the Commission. Um, as you know, I have deep, deep concerns, in particular about big tech. I, I think big tech today represents the greatest accumulation of power, market power and monopoly power over information that the world has ever seen. And the players in big tech are getting more and more brazen. Uh, they behave as if they are completely unaccountable. And at times, they behave more like nation states than private companies. Uh, I think the commission has not done nearly enough to rein in the abuse of power of big tech. Uh, when it comes to content moderation, they're absolutely a black box. They refuse to answer questions. In the Senate, we have promulgated questions to big tech over and over again about their content moderation decisions. Who are they blocking specifically? What are the numbers? Under what circumstances? What are the remedies? What is the decision making? 
And big tech's standard answer to all of that is essentially jump in a lake, that they don't have to answer. We saw before the prior election, big tech take an even greater step and block the New York Post, shut down the nation's fourth largest print newspaper because big tech agreed, disagreed with a story that they had put out. That market power with zero transparency and zero accountability, I think, is dangerous. It is dangerous for free speech. It is dangerous for free and fair elections. In your collective judgment, what can and what should the commission do to rein in the abuse of power from big tech? Uh, Senator Cruz, uh, there's no question that these firms wield enormous power over our lives, over our economy, and over our democracy. Uh, I was happy that the FTC voted to issue a complaint against Facebook and its anti-competitive practices, uh, but it's clear there was a lot of missed opportunities to rein it in before, and local journalists, media have been destroyed by many of these practices. Um, we have to do more. Congress has to do more when it comes to abuses of Section 230. Um, and we also have to get to the bottom of the black box algorithms that they have. The FTC has issued some orders to understand some of those content curation practices, how those algorithms make decisions. And ultimately, we need to hold them accountable for when they violate the law. Senator Cruz, this is Christine Wilson, if I can have just a moment to respond as well. I agree with you that there are significant concerns about content moderation, content curation. As Commissioner Chopra indicated, uh, Commissioner now Acting Chair Slaughter and Commissioner Chopra and I worked together to design the 6B study that Commissioner Chopra referenced. And I think that is uh, perhaps the most important task that the FTC is undertaking right now. Uh, I, as to the question of whether the FTC currently has authority to address these issues, um, can content suppression be an unfair practice under our consumer protection and competition mandates? I believe that if firms act in ways that are contrary to their material representations or terms of service, it could be an unfair or deceptive act. I don't want the FTC to be the speech police. We're not equipped to judge political speech, but it is within our authority to determine whether companies are living up to their promises to consumers. As for questions of unfair competition, if firms agree to censor a specific and disfavored perspective, it could raise a question of whether there was an illegal agreement under Section 1 of the Sherman Act. So, for example, if different social media companies take down similar content in the same 24-hour period, that could raise a question about whether companies reached a potentially illegal agreement behind the scenes to silence certain perspectives. Obviously, parallel conduct is necessary but not sufficient to prove an antitrust violation, but I would be interested in uh, taking a look at some of the simultaneous takedowns to determine whether there is an underlying agreement that was driving those actions. Senator, I just wanted to add that uh, I agree with you that we need to be really concerned about the exercise of market power by these extremely large companies. Uh, I think I was pleased to support the complaint we had against Facebook. I shared the concerns Commissioner Chopra articulated earlier about our resolutions of the order enforcement case against Facebook earlier and the YouTube case against Google because 
I was concerned that it would not adequately incentivize companies to start following the law. Neither of them would adequately incentivize companies to start following the law. And going back to the topic of this hearing, I think we need to think about the role platforms have to play in the dissemination of COVID scams, for example. Um, this is another area Commissioner Chopra pointed to Section 230. I think this is an area where um, we see this, the scams popping up again and again and again on these platforms. And 230 can inhibit our ability to hold platforms accountable for be, being the marketplace of bad action um, instead of good ideas. Well, and let me encourage you. I think there's particular value the commission can add uh, in terms of transparency, in terms of addressing the black box. So, for example, big tech claims there's not political bias. Well, they happen to have a monopoly on all the information and data you would look to to assess whether there's political bias. And so I've asked repeatedly in the 2020 election cycle, how many Republican candidates for office did you block posts from? How many Democratic candidates? There's an answer. It's, it's a concrete number. They have it. They refuse to give it. Simply making that information public for multiple cycles, what they're doing, I think would be incredibly beneficial reining in the abuse of power. And I think the commission has ample authority to, to require those disclosures right now. Well, can I just, I just want to point out, Senator, I, I, as Commissioners Wilson and Chopra indicated, very much supported and think the 6B study that we are doing on social media platforms is extremely important. Uh, I would like it to have result in us adding some transparency to the marketplaces, but the 6B statute specifically prohibits us from disclosing certain information that we re receive as a part of those studies, you know, where it's tied to particular companies so we can comment on market trends, but I, I want to be mindful of the limitations of our statutory authority, which we obviously can't go over, so, and set expectations reasonably there. Well, but thank you. Um, we definitely, I mentioned earlier, we are going to have a, a hearing about abuse of market power later in May, and so pretty, I appreciate your question, and definitely, I, I might add an addendum. I think it's not only go jump in a lake, it's go jump in a lake and I'll pay $5 billion in fine because I'm making so much money it doesn't matter. And so when it's both of those, I think we really have to do something, so thank you. Okay, so... That was quite interesting. A uh, little, little scary. You know, is is big tech above the law? Are, do these companies wield power never before seen in the history of mankind? I would say so. I would say so. It's obvious, people. It's obvious that they have affected the election. There was a Time Magazine article about it, the concerted effort to get Trump out of office. <clears throat> We've talked about it before. Sam Winchester on his podcast talked about it before. Many people, you know, talk about validation. You know, we all, everyone that uh, prophesized that was right. Guess what? We were right. <laughs> all you people that were talking all that shit on social media, I remember. I remember all, all, all you people running your mouth. Oh, you know, we the the uh, big tech companies would never silence uh, conservative voices. Oh, we would never do such a thing because we have the moral high ground. We are the way it should be, and anyone that disagree with disagrees with us should be put to death. That's the mentality. 
That's you, you communist, progressive, far left wingers. That that's that's why people, adults, think you guys are fucking crazy, batshit, out of your minds. Because it defies logic and reason and rational thought. Your behavior and some of your pathetic arguments. It insults our intelligence. And anytime someone that disagrees with you wants to have a debate amongst uh, allegedly intelligent minds, the majority of you run away. There's a debate out there with Dinesh D'Souza debating um, Bill Ayers. Oh my God, you guys got to go check that out. I don't, I don't want to play it for you on the podcast because... You know, you really can't appreciate it unless you watch the entire thing. I mean, D'Souza just, dis, in my opinion, just crushes Bill Ayers. And it was probably easy for him to do because you know, you guys know how I feel about the Bill Ayerses of the world. Uh, you know. So anyway, you know, is big tech... You know, allegedly forcing the government. Maybe not directly, but indirectly. To write and pass legislation to regulate the enormous power over information that big tech now holds. I would say so. The, the You know, for I would really, you know, ask a libertarian. I would love to know the general consensus on this amongst my uh, fellow uh, libertarian-minded friends. You know, is this something the government has any control over or should have any control over? I mean, if, if they have the power to control all the news and information you get to hear, and if they're not already in bed with government and this is just a nice front... Um, you know, this could be just uh, this could be the Hegelian dialectic. Well, let's just say that we're upset with big tech, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna make it look like we're actually trying to pass legislation and enforce antitrust laws and you know whatever yada 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 et cetera et cetera et cetera. And you know, I suppose it's possible. I suppose it's possible. Maybe we'll see it. Maybe we'll see it in the, in the near future. Maybe the Federal Trade Commission and, you know, the the Ted Cruz's of the world are, are, are going to maybe make it make a dent. You know, you lefties, I'm telling you, you guys, we got to come to some type of middle ground. We have to meet in the middle. You guys have to come get your head out of the clouds and come back down to earth and reality for just a few minutes. You got to be willing to face the fact that maybe your ideas are stupid as fuck and you need to be willing to debate others or else you are going to lose credibility and people are going to start losing faith in your bullshit arguments. Ugh, man, I don't know. So, you know, big questions, people. I don't know. You know, antitrust laws are being discussed, but, you know, will anything really happen? <laughs> uh, I, I'd like to believe it. I'd like to believe that the Ted Cruz's and the, uh, who's the other politician uh, that everyone hates? 
but has some pretty good ideas. Uh, Josh, Senator Josh Hawley. Uh, he had a thing here. Let me read what he said on this topic. Uh, he, I think he posted this on his whatever page the other day, and I, uh, I found it interesting. Here we go. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley. Feel however you want to feel about him. Uh, take a listen to what he said here, and I quote, I don't think that there is any question that these mega corporations have way too much power in American society, way too much power in American politics. Bottom line is that they want to run our democracy. They want to run our government. And the answer is for many of them, uh, is that we have to break up. The, hold on. And the answer is, for many of them, is that we have to break up. Okay. We need to break up the monopolies, pure and simple. We've done that before in American history. That has been a tried and true remedy for mega corporations that want to exert too much power. These corporations are delighted to give some money to BLM to say that they are woke, to say that they believe in racial justice. But what have they been doing for the last 20, 30, 40 years? They've been shipping jobs overseas. They've been hollowing out the urban core. They've been taking away good-paying jobs for Americans of all races and backgrounds. And they want to be left to continue to do that. They want us to look the other way while they continue to pursue those policies that have devastated whole communities, including in the urban core of America, and pretend that they are somehow socially just. People, it's a shell game. And it's time we called them out on it. Unquote. So the politicians are talking about it. They're thinking about it. You know, Derek Chauvin clearly wasn't above the law. Maybe he thought he was. <laughs> and I'm telling you, people, Democrats, boy, if, if what Maxine Waters did and said gets that case thrown out and you people are not livid, upset with her for ruining it and letting this guy off. How are you going to feel? How are you going to feel? If you're not pissed about it, you're a hypocrite. You guys are already hypocrites for a million reasons, but just one more example. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. What a joke. Maxine Waters. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I can't even, I'm not even, uh, you know, if I don't have anything nice to say, I probably shouldn't say anything at all, right? So I don't know. I mean, how, you know, and let's just say theoretically, you know, we're going to try to break up these big social media giants, right? How can we break up social media giants without, you know, greatly damaging business? <laughs> how many businesses rely on Facebook? For, you know, advertising, obviously. Mining our data, obviously. All the ways that these assholes are making money off of your face being in your screen 24 hours a day. 
seven days a week, scrolling, getting pissed off, looking at posts from people, running around trying to get people canceled and fired from their jobs, crying, <laughs> little babies in the street. I'm 40 years old, but I'm on social media acting like I'm a fucking teenager. Oh, God. I'm losing faith, people. I am losing faith. <laughs> oh, man, this this place, this country. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, here, I want to read this. Um, this is some more proof that, uh, you know, other people are saying that these tech companies are above the law. Here we go. Coronavirus phone tracking. Apple and Google just took over. And here's what that means for you. This is an article in this was an article in Forbes magazine by a guy named Zach Doffman, who uh, I believe is um, the cybersecurity guy. He writes about the security and surveillance uh, state. So here we go. I'm gonna read through a little bit of this. And just like that. Coronavirus smartphone tracking made it to the big leagues. The announcement today, April 10th, I think this was of last year. Uh, maybe, is it this year? No, I think it was last year. Yep, last year. Uh, that Apple and Google are stepping in to make sure this is done, quote, properly. And this is a game changer. There was some debate beforehand as to which tracking method would win out. Would it be network pings, GPS databases, or dedicated apps? But now it is clear that the Bluetooth system adopted in Singapore and then picked up in Europe and elsewhere looks likely to dominate. As I reported April 7th, relying on your smartphone to warn if you've risked possible infection is set to become a reality for most of us sometime soon. There's been so much traction in such a short space of time. You know, you can't let a good uh, crisis go to waste, right, people? Making it difficult to manage this properly, prompting Europe's privacy watchdog to call for an internal solution. Now Google and Apple are making sure that that happens. So, you know, governments around the world are vesting power in these companies for a number of different reasons. And in our last, my last podcast, I was talking to you guys about the coming AI world and how we need to be AI ready to compete with China and Russia uh, in the coming years. Yeah, and, and look, we already have companies in the tech world, probably in the AI world as well, that are already accumulating and using, exercising unbelievably large amounts of power, even over governments. People, it's a new world order. We will have world government, whether or not we like it. The only question is, will it come through conquest or by consent. James Warburg, bonesman, said that. 
The joint initiative between Apple and Google is set to make this work cross-platform in a matter of weeks. In May, the big tech giant said in a statement, both companies will release APIs that enable interoperability between Android and iOS devices using apps from public health authorities. These official apps will be available for users to download via their respective app stores. Uh, the UK and other European countries are working on their apps now. Germany looks like uh, being the first to adopt a wannabe a pan-European alternative, uh, etc. But this goes much further. A few months down the road, the intention is to shift from cross-enabling apps to build a broader Bluetooth-based contact tracing platform. Uh, this is a little old. This clearly already happened. But just think about what a step forward of power that these tech companies are exercising. Like, you know, the pandemic gave them reason to just take a little bit more. Maybe it is a Nietzschean will to power world in our future. This would in theory provide a national level scheme country by country enabled by the smartphone operating systems carried by almost all of us. And I believe smartphones were another way to help get the globalization and the communication between, you know, and hopefully the information and the knowledge of what's going on in other countries as well as just your own. You know, like I said before, there's positives and negatives negatives to everything. Uh, okay, so there's, so he continues, the theory also goes that to do this completely openly, publishing standards and privacy protections will push up the level of engagement across the population. Such systems only work if 60% or more of the public in any country or region participate, which means have a smartphone. <laughs> uh, and so here's my favorite part. Here's, here's the Orwellian part of this. This is what Apple and Google said in a statement. Quote, privacy, transparency, and consent are of utmost importance in this effort, Apple and Google have assured. And their PR people probably wrote this. And we look forward to building this functionality in consultation with interested stakeholders through close cooperation and collaboration with developers, governments, and public health providers. We hope to harness the power of technology to help countries around the world slow the spread of COVID-19 and accelerate the return of everyday life, unquote. Our benevolent overlords want what's best for us. And in the process, we're just going to take a little bit more power and control over your uh, your op options in, in your life. The, d the debate thus far around phone tracking and contact tracing has been on the shift from aggregated, uh, anonymized data sets to the individuals below. This has been set up. This has been seen as a step too far, albeit that's exactly how China effected its strict quarantine and lockdown regime, and some similar measures have been touted elsewhere. So there you go. That, that goes back to what we talked about last podcast. China's moving forward with their surveillance capabilities and they're a communist regime and they're going to use it for things that don't necessarily agree with uh the you know the professed beliefs of the west 
But in order to compete, we got to start doing the same thing. But we're going to have a rock solid ethical baseline, right? You really believe that, people? How can you compete with a country that is not ethical by being ethical? I don't buy it. These tech companies are taking over and they're going to help the big wealthy bankers, financiers. They're, they've already bought and paid for the state houses, the Congress, the Senate, city halls, judges in their, in their back pockets. George Carlin was right. <laughs> At which point we will be left with the same old question. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, this has been seen as a step to our, albeit exactly how China affected its strict quarantine and lockdown regime. Uh, the question here will be the ways in which Apple and Google can push out a platform that protects privacy and keeps our data away from prying eyes. Good luck with that. At which point we will be left with the same old question. Do you trust big tech more or less than your government? When it comes to safeguarding your interests, I will repeat that. People, write that question down. Maybe turn it into a magnet and put it on your refrigerator. The question here will be the ways in which Apple and Google can push out a platform that protects privacy and keeps our data away from prying eyes. Here's what I... Sorry, this is the one. This is what you make the magnet out of. Here we go. At which point we will be left with the same old question. Do you trust big tech more or less than your government when it comes to safeguarding your interests? The platform itself will be stitched into the local health system to confirm diagnoses and provide the right course of action for those potentially infected. Beyond that, there are some concerns over the accuracy of the tech. Not all Bluetooth systems are the same, and how they operate in different places can vary. Um, if you know about the Internet of Things, uh, there are ways for hackers to get into lots of stuff out there. Uh, but the main question is whether a voluntary system can summon the sheer numbers of people necessary to make it work. The risk here is that those worried about becoming infected will sign up likely older or less healthy individuals. Younger citizens, though, may be less compliant. And if that happens, it's a real issue. So he's this guy's trying to, you know, save face by saying, oh, well, maybe we need uh, contract tracing because we're trying to keep you safe, people. We're trying to keep you safe and secure. From the big bad boogeyman. The constant parade of imaginary hobgoblins. In the words of H.L. Mencken. Uh, so, I don't know people. Big tech. Above the law. Seems like maybe, huh? Seems like maybe. Um, moving on. Getting a little long-winded here. Here's another article that I wanted to kind of go over. It's kind of, it's quick. Don't worry. Um, let me see if I can find it. Give me one second. Here we go. So this is from Waking Times. And I don't really know, uh, you know, how 
reputable of a site you people may or may not think this is. But I found this uh, uh, article and this the writers to be uh, kind of funny and uh, accurate. So here's an article. It's entitled, Chilling Report Reveals That Just a Handful of Mega Corporations Control the Fate of the World. Ooh, very dramatic title. Got to get that clickbait in there. Well, he clicked, he hooked me, and I liked what I found. Here we go. So much of dystopian science fiction stories feature an all-knowing, all-powerful private corporation as the dominant authority in a tyrannic and soulless world. According to a new study, this vision of the future isn't all that fictional, as transnational corporations are growing at an alarming pace, rapidly consolidating control over major industries and creating a new type of super governance in our world. Conducted by Carl Folk et al. of the University of Bayer, I butchered that probably, Institute of Ecological Economics, Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences, Stockholm, Sweden, 2019 study, primarily focused on the influence that multinational corporations have over the biosphere and critical issues surrounding sustainability, but also revealed just how dependent the world is on them. For years, we've known that just a handful of media companies hold sway over 90% of the media we consume, offering up the illusion of choice, but this paradigm extends into other critical sectors. You can see it in the environment in the environment where just a hundred companies are responsible for over 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. You can see it in technology where giant tech firms enjoy monopolistic dominance over search, social, and more. Pharmaceutical companies are so powerful they spawn entire health crises. Energy companies are so powerful they can predict, eliminate crises decades in advance. The communication of science itself is not untouched by these phenomena of corporate consolidation and control. Citing the trend towards dominance of relatively small numbers of companies, the study notes that consolidation among corporations, whereby a small number of companies control a large market share of the overall output or sales for a particular product or product type, that is oligopoly or at the extreme monopoly, is a well-known and predictable feature of economic development. Some 10% of the world's corporations generate 80% of all global profits. A handful of transnational companies in the information technology sector control 90% or more of the global market share of search engines, operating systems, and social media. So this guy, this author of this article is seconding what Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and many, many, many other, not only conservatives, but I'm sure there's a few Democrats that agree. I just saw a thing on, I can't wait to watch it, Noam Chomsky apparently just gave uh, an, art, uh, an interview about what he thinks about big tech and about Biden and about a few other things too. I can't remember, but I can't wait to check it out. Uh, okay, so moving on. 
three investor firms manage over 90% of all assets under management in passive equity funds and retailers, which form the interface between consumers and global supply chains, also show high levels of concentration. People, they are taken over. Such dominance is variously explained by increasing share of returns from growth going to capital rather than labor. <laughs> the ability of transnational corporations to navigate regulatory systems opportunistically across multiple jurisdictions and their capacity to create barriers to entry for smaller firms, people. You cannot have monopoly in a free market without government interference. I've said it a million times. You lefties, you want to point the finger and blame capitalism. Capitalism, the problem with capitalism isn't that it doesn't work. The problem with capitalism is that it works too well. It works unbelievably well. And when a system of free market capitalism gets over-regulated by government, when big business colludes, conspires, with government to push out free market competitors. The result, people, is oligopoly, monopoly, totalitarianism, fascist domination by a group of people that hold the legal monopoly on force. They can kick you in the face and put a gun against your head. They do not care. They do not give a fuck about you. Man. Many people today are beginning to finally understand the damage being done to the environment by transnational corporations. A few. Very few group of companies. And the report focused on consolidation in agriculture and forestry, seafood, agrochemicals, mining, and fossil fuels. What does that make you think of? That makes me think of Bill Gates buying up all the farmland. That makes me think of the new Seaspiracy documentary that just came out. Seafood's going away, people. <laughs> Better kiss it goodbye. <coughs> Thank China. In Japan, in Mexico, probably the United States too, for sure. We've been warning for years of the impact of companies like Monsanto can have. But this report shows us the chilling, bigger picture. And here are his final thoughts, and I love this. As the world wakes up, to the new future we are creating, our interconnectedness and interdependency is reaching unreal levels. We human beings are hardwired to become comfortable with our surroundings and are easily trained to become dependent. 
the tyranny of convenience. God, I love that phrase. The tyranny of convenience is creating dangerous imbalance in this world. And a handful of so-called super corporations are deftly exploiting these trends and positioning themselves for extreme dominance over the environment and our ability to support ourselves. I mean, <laughs> it is a crazy world we are living in. Um, this is a lot. This has kind of been a lot. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, uh, we're going we're gonna to get into segment two of the episode. And I'm going to come back with a clip from <laughs> uh, The Validation. Uh, I, I just, I love it. I love the cosigners in the world on the shit that comes out of my mouth. I love it. I just stumbled upon uh, a clip from a History Channel show, TV show called America's War on Drugs, the, C, the CIA's Project MK Ultra. They're making TV shows out of it now, people, because it's declassified. It's not conspiracy theory. It's the, the shit was real. It happened. And I'm going to play a clip. And I hope you like it. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I think it's amazing. And you guys are all going to hear it when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, we are back. Uh, I'm going to take a brief aside from the show real quick, and I want to play you guys uh, this... Uh, this clip, this is from a TV show. This is from uh, America's War on Drugs, the CIA's Project MKUltra. And this clip, they're going to talk about, remember in a previous podcast, I told you guys that uh, the hippie movement of the 60s, they were, uh, you know, releasing LSD on the population, uh, trying to test it. And it actually ended up having... Uh, hilariously, the uh, the opposite effect of what their you know what their intended goal was, and I don't know if any of you guys actually knew that. I didn't know it, uh, but it makes perfect sense when you put all this stuff together in the grand tapestry of you know the, the chronological order of history. It all makes sense. So here we go. Take a listen to this, and. Uh, We'll briefly touch on it real quick. I just wanted to throw this into the show today because uh, it's just a little bit more validation uh, for uh, claims I've made in previous podcasts. And uh, in pe- in previous podcasts, people, I'm not making this stuff up. Here we go. Two American spies have just arrived at Sandoz Laboratories, one of the world's leading pharmaceutical factories. The mission cornered the market on the world's supply of a powerful new psychoactive drug, 
The CIA was scared stiff the KGB was going to get all this LSD and come over and start dosing people. So we bought every drop of LSD in existence at that point. The CIA has just authorized the purchase of 10 kilograms of pure LSD-25, enough to dose more than half the population of the United States. They gave it to George White and let George start dosing people. George Hunter White, a larger-than-life undercover federal narcotics agent. Unbeknownst to his supervisors, White also works for the CIA. His job, to conduct experiments for an operation called Midnight Climax. George had a CIA safe house stocked with booze. George would sit behind this one-way mirror, drinking martinis, sitting on a portable toilet. If he had to take a leak, he didn't want to get up and leave. White pays prostitutes to lure their clients to the agency's safe house. Hookers who would bring these suckers back to the apartment and dose them with pure LSD-25. This is where I have my effect, in the mind. This is lysergic acid diethylamide, better known as acid. The powerful drug was first synthesized in 1938 in Switzerland. With a dose of mere micrograms, the mind becomes confused. Perception is distorted. Personal identity is called into question. The results can be euphoric bliss or deadly panic. White takes meticulous notes and files his reports to his CIA handlers. So that was how LSD was introduced to this country. Operation Midnight Climax is part of a larger top-secret CIA program called MKUltra. The goal, learn how to control and even reprogram people's minds. The CIA believes LSD might hold the key. Over the next 10 years, the agency doses a cross-section of the American public. Everyone from unwitting housewives to soldiers, to even criminals like gangster Whitey Bulger is tested. You know, what the CIA really dreamed of was sort of like a drug you could give to someone, get them to commit all sorts of unspeakable acts, and they wake up the next day and they don't remember what they've done. They were looking into brainwashing. They were looking into mind control. They were looking into how they could create what they called Manchurian candidates. They were trying to figure out if they could get people to go out and do things that they would ordinarily not do, like assassination. The case of MKUltra has to be one of the craziest cases of blowback in CIA history, because here they took this drug, LSD, and thought that they were gonna be able to use it to control people's minds, and the unbelievable irony is that LSD is a drug that does exactly the opposite. It frees your mind and uh, causes people to question authority. Turn on, tune in, drop out. The CIA's attempt to control people turned out to be <laughs> just the opposite. It created the counterculture, as we know it, of the 60s. It was the CIA that introduced LSD to the United States. There it is, people. <laughs> uh, I just saw another show the other day, too. Uh, I can't find it. I don't know if it's brand new. It's probably brand new because I can't find it on on demand or anything. Uh, but I was going to play a clip from that show too. Apparently there's a show called Undercover History, uh, Dark Secrets of the CIA. 
a terrifying account of the CIA's efforts to expose unknowing members of the public to biological agents, hallucinogenic drugs, and psychological techniques aimed at mastering the art of mind control. Oh, boy. I feel like a broken record. Okay, so that was my briefest aside. Uh, moving on. So, today we've been talking about, you know, are these tech companies above the law? Are the police above the law? Can we really monitor, surveil, um, you know, catch all the criminals? You know, at what point does the Orwellian big surveillance police state, you know, I, 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 suppose, I guess I can see it from both sides. Like, I know that there are people out there that are like, you know, it's just a necessary consequence. It's an unintended consequence, but it's just a necessary consequence of the way things are these days. You know, we just have to adapt. And, you know, yeah, I guess so, to an extent. But, you know, one of the points I'm trying to get across to you people is, what is it? I'm, 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 please, someone help me understand. What is it that you aren't seeing? With all this information I've been giving you on this podcast, we're on episode 26 now. What do, what yet do I have to provide as evidence and information that, you know, will persuade you that you have got to re-examine your faith in Democrats and Republicans. You have to re-examine your relationship to government, your relationship to businesses and corporations, how you do business, who you, you know, choose to do business with. Is it based on convenience? The tyranny of convenience? You know, I'm not blaming anybody for it. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I'll, I mean, that's the whole point of increasing our standard of living, right? We want more convenience, obviously. But, you know, some things shouldn't be so convenient, don't you think? Especially if it's going to adversely affect, you know, a big portion of the fabric of our society. You know, of what keeps the society together. I don't know where we're going, but we need to be sufficiently aware of the forces that are moving in this world. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't even have to really participate uh, if you don't want to. You know, it, there are enough of us out there trying to fight the good fight. So, you know, we need more. We always need more. Obviously, it would be great if we could reach critical mass, like we talked about in a previous podcast. If you people are sufficiently aware, then you know it's not. A no, it's a no-brainer. People are going to rise up and be like, "Nah, right? We're not doing this anymore." You know, we're, we're going to switch directions here. You guys don't get to pull all the strings and make all the important decisions anymore. How do we get there? I don't know. 
You know? I'll leave that to posterity to decide. Um, you know, in closing today, uh, I really like this article. It's a very brief article, uh, so I hope you'll bear with me. Um, it is by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was... I forget what he was. He was a Russian... Um, I think he was a prisoner at one point in time, and he kind of talks about that in, in this piece. He's an author. He wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago. Um, I know Jordan Peterson refers to him quite a bit, and uh, I really like this article. So this is by a person uh, named Annie Holmquist, and I found this on uh, the Intellectual Takeout page on Facebook, one of my favorites, good page. Uh, here we go. And this is going to be just, you know, just think about it. This is just kind of closing thoughts for the episode today. Here we go. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the chaos and the noise that seems to be a normal part of life nowadays? If so, you're not alone. Anything from a random comment on Twitter to the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice to an election seems to pit various classes, genders, or political parties against each other. It's as if we have turned every waking moment of our lives into a continual stream of victimhood and revolt against any form of stability. But while this noisy chaos seems to have intensified in recent years, it is, in reality, nothing new. I was reminded of this fact while perusing the second volume of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago. Although a decorated commander in the Russian army, Solzhenitsyn was imprisoned near the end of World War II for disparaging comments made privately about Joseph Stalin. His years in prison were hardly pleasant, but Solzhenitsyn, I think I'm pronouncing that right, writes in the Gulag Archipelago, those years gave him striking insight into the reality of human nature. I love this part. And, you know, his experience reminds me of V for Vendetta. It reminds me of Evie in V for Vendetta when she's in the prison. And I remember what that line, remember in a previous podcast I was trying to remember, I think it was um, our integrity uh, sells for so little that it's the very last inch of us. And in that inch, we are free. And, you know, and it goes back to that that uh, post, you know, uh, from Fight Club. You know, not until you've lost everything are you free to do anything. Like, we're so dominated and controlled now, people. Like, I don't know what freedom even is anymore. And I know the future generations aren't going to either. Anyway, here we go. So here's the clip from the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, it was granted me... To carry away from my prison years on my bent back, which nearly broke beneath its load, this essential experience, how a human being becomes evil and how a human being becomes good. In the intoxication of youthful successes, I had felt myself to be infallible. 
and I was therefore cruel. In the uh, in the surfeit of power, I was a murderer and an oppressor. In the service of power, in the surfeit of power. I don't know what that word is. Anyway, in my most evil moments, I was convinced that I was doing good. And I was well supplied with systematic arguments. And it was only when I lay there on rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart, and through all human hearts. This line shifts inside us. It oscillates with the years. And even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an unuprooted small corner of evil. Since then, I have come to understand the truth of all the religions of the world. They struggle with the evil inside a human being, inside every human being. It is impossible to expel evil from the world in its entirety, but it is possible to constrict it within each person. This realization led Solzhenitsyn to recognize the problem with revolutions. Namely, they destroy only those carriers of evil contemporary within them. And they then take to themselves as their heritage the actual evil itself, magnified still more. What strikes me most about these words is that Solzhenitsyn had every right to be a victim. In fact, his regular persecution gave him a much bigger claim to victimhood than the victims of modern culture have. And by, I mean, exponentially more claim to victimhood this guy had. You ever, you ever wallowed in a, in a gulag, people? A Soviet communist prison where you're left to die and starve and rot if you don't get pulled out and executed in front of other prisoners? You think you got it that bad, Americans? My fellow Americans? What a fucking joke. What a joke. Oh, just disgust me. Yet Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn, refused, refused to claim that victimhood. He refused to blame race or class or gender or political parties for the evils in the world that they were afflicting him. Instead, he took time to examine his own heart, his own capacity for love, and recognized that he was just as much at fault for the evil problems in the world as were his persecutors. People, it's got to start inside first.
I wonder how much the noise of confusion, the noise and confusion, in today's world would be solved if we each did the same as Solzhenitsyn did. Instead of pinning the problems and chaos in our world on those of the opposing political party or those who don't agree with our opinions on race or gender and then painting ourselves as the victim, what if we first recognize the part we have played in making the world and ourselves what they actually are? If we did so, Perhaps we, like Solzhenitsyn, would be able to label our trials and persecutions as a blessing. And this is from Solzhenitsyn himself, quote, Bless you, my prison, for having been in my life, unquote. People, you gotta look inward. You gotta quit pointing the finger. You gotta be aware. You have to be courageous. You have to educate yourself. You have to develop your own personal bullshit filter. How do I accept information that comes into my head? Do I do it unconsciously, unwittingly? Are you naive? Gullible. And if you are, that is your area of opportunity, people. You gotta find a way to vet the bullshit that this world will try to get by you. Your government is gonna do it. Your so called friends are gonna do it. Where your job, where you work, they're definitely gonna do it. If you're a member of a church, I guarantee you there's a little bit of it going on in the churches. Any group construct, any organization. Remember what Bill, uh, what George Carlin said? And he's like, you know, I love individuals. I love when I meet people one-on-one. That you can see the whole world in their eyes. But as soon as they start to group, as soon as they start to clot, they sacrifice the beauty of the individual for the sake of the group. And we all become soldiers in an army, radicalized, useful idiots, blind to the fact, to the reality of what is happening right underneath your noses. The methods are as old as empire. They have been trial and error scientific method, uh, perfected over the years. This is the truth. This is the reality of this world. This is how the future is going to be. This is the the theme. These are the themes we're going to talk about. The 21st century people. I want to end. Actually, I'm going to keep this podcast going a little bit longer because I wanted to end today with this. Actually, I hope you liked that uh, that article. I, I I really enjoyed it. Very uh, good summation of a lot of the themes I've been talking about on this podcast. Uh, I came across this and I liked it. I did not know this about Charlie Chaplin. You guys remember who Charlie Chaplin was? 
Well, Charlie Chaplin openly pleaded in his life and career against fascism, war, capitalism, sadly, and mass destruction weapons in his movies. He was slandered by the FBI and banned from the United States in 1952. Did you know that? The FBI banned Charlie Chaplin. 20 years later, later in 1972, he was offered an honorary Academy Award. He hesitantly returned to the United States for the first time in 20 years, and at the Academy Awards Gala, he received a 12-minute standing ovation, the longest in the Academy's history. And... I mean, gosh, the more I learn about Charlie Chaplin, the more I love and respect that guy so much. Uh, he has a movie uh, called The Great Dictator. And there is a speech, a famous speech, uh, that he gives at the end of this movie. And it is awesome. Uh, I think Strung Out, one of my favorite punk rock bands, uh, plays a part of this clip. Uh, in the beginning of uh, one of their albums. I can't remember what album it is. I don't think it's Transmission Alpha Delta. I think it's the one before that. I don't really recall. Someone's probably going to kick me in the nuts for not remembering. But uh, if you guys know Strung Out, and you know what's, uh, what I'm ta song I'm talking about, when you hear the part in this speech, you're going to know. And if you ever asked yourself, when you listen to that Strung Out song, hey, well, I wonder what this uh, little speech is from. Uh... Oh, I think The Calling. I think it goes into the song The Calling. Oh, maybe it's Paradox? American Paradox? Pfft. Ugh. Someone's going to email me and blow me up about that. Anyway, uh, so here we go, people. Uh, this is a very moving speech from the movie The Great Dictator. From, I think it's, I don't know, the 20s or the 30s. This is Charlie Chaplin's character giving a speech entitled... I don't want to be a dictator. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die 
and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate, only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie, they do not fulfill that promise, they never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite. Man, moving stuff. You know, and just, that's a, Charlie Chaplin people is, is another example. Anyone bringing a message of peace and love? The big club? The the intelligence community? The devils that are running and ruling over us and ruling and running this world? They'll clip you. Martin Luther King. Malcolm X. John Lennon. The list goes on and on and on. If they didn't kill you, JFK. His brother. You know, if they didn't kill you, you know, Seth Rich. <laughs> I haven't talked about him on this podcast yet, but, you know. <laughs> the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Hillary Clinton gets the gets the, uh, the moniker of Killery for a reason, people. You think that many people affiliated with the Clinton Foundation just end up dead, or, or you know, twenty plus, probably even more. Who knows? People all committed suicide. <laughs> uh, people, we, we we better be careful. If you guys, you guys, if you guys have seen V for Vendetta, you'll get this reference. I don't want to end up in one of Mister Creedy's black bags. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> all right, people. Thanks for listening today. Oh, I love it. I love it. Send me an email if you want, people. Andrew for America 1984 at gmail.com. Check out the website, politics and punk rock podcast.com. I am Andrew for America. This has been episode 26 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Thanks for listening. 
Tell your friends about the show. Spread it around. It's only getting better. It's only going to get better. I'm getting better at this shit every day. I love you guys, and we'll see you next time.